We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Numbers chapter 20, I begin in verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh, and there Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, and they quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff and water gushed out. And the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And these were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where He showed Himself holy among them. Lord, teach us that godly leadership requires adherence to uncompromising standards. In Jesus' name, Amen. So let's jump right into that. And number one, if you're taking notes this morning, honoring God is more important than receiving credit. Honoring God is more important than receiving credit. When you see that God gave very clear commands, I want you to know that, that when we open up in this passage, that I think you probably could excuse Moses for being a little frustrated at this point. If it seems like we've switched over to Numbers, but we've been in Exodus, but it seems like we're still reading the same thing we were reading in Exodus, you're exactly right. Because even though now they're at the edge of the promised land, the people have been doing this for 40 years. There's no change. They're still quarreling. They're still complaining about no water and no food. And Moses is sitting there, and if you think that he has a right to be frustrated, I don't know that I have trouble that I could argue with that. Because this is an incredibly frustrating group of people. And after all they've seen, here they are. But there's also something that we saw that we could blow right past that I don't want you to miss because it's just a few words. In fact, it's just one sentence, and it's in the very first verse that we read. But I want you to see something because I believe that it, it shows what we need to understand about when we are very vulnerable, how careful we need to be. Did you see what it said in the last sentence of verse 1? It said, There Miriam died and was buried. Now, if you don't remember who was Miriam, how was she related to Moses? That was his sister. In fact, that was the same one who when Moses' mama took him and put him in the thatch basket, and remember this, she placed him into the Nile and was rescued by the princess of Egypt. It was his sister Miriam who was looking out the entire time, and it was she who went to the princess and said, do you want me to find you a wet nurse, but knew that she would be able to go back and get her mother to be able to nurse Moses. So this 
sister had been like a mother to him. Now, if you read the story, you know that there were a lot of times when he, she and Miriam had had, had, that he and Miriam had had a lot of issues, a lot of problems, but it was his sister. And I believe that between the people being aggravating and absolutely wearing him out and the death of his sister, he was at a place where he was raw emotionally, where he was dragged down, where he had had enough, and let's face it, he was old. And so he goes before the Lord and, and we see him in this tent of meeting and the Lord comes on him again and the Lord tells him specifically what he is to do to deal with these people. Now, if you read this passage and had this question, what did he do that was so wrong? What was, what was so bad about what Moses did? Is, this really, is he really guilty enough to keep him from going to the promised land after 40 years of, re, of leading these people? And the answer is obviously yes. And here's why. The Lord gave him specific instructions. He said, I want you to speak to that rock. But when Moses went before the Lord, not only did he not speak to the rock, but we're told he took the staff and he struck the rock twice. But then he made this statement. I believe he made it in haste. I believe he made it out of an emotional cry. I believe he was exhausted. I believe he was in grief. And what did he say? He said, must we, who's he talking about? He and Aaron, must we bring this water from this rock? And immediately the water starts to pour out and the people drank. But what we know is that he was punished for that. Even though he was angry and frustrated, even though his sister had passed, he had been given specific instructions about what he was to do. And the point is that God demands that he be treated as holy. God demands that he be honored. God demands that he receive the credit. And so in the midst of this, I want you to hear this and hear this well. I want you all to be successful in the big things of life. I hope that you're able to accomplish every God-given goal that He's placed on your heart. But what you need to know more than anything else is that God is calling you to honor Him and to give Him glory and to give Him credit, not just in the big things of life, but in every aspect of life. Kevin DeLong played in the NFL, and he was being interviewed one time and asked about his former college football coach. In fact, his former college football coach, I believe, was one of, if not the greatest college football coach of all time, and I'm talking about Bobby Bowden. And he was interviewed about Bobby Bowden. He was asked, well, do you remember anything specific that Bobby Bowden taught you while you were playing for him? He said, oh yeah. He said, I've never forgotten. One day he came in and he had a team meeting with us, and he told us a story. He said that growing up, he was, that Bobby Bowden was quite a baseball player. And he said he actually had goals uh, to play professional baseball. And he said that as he was playing, he had got a lot of, hit a lot of home runs in practice, that he was, was really attacking the ball, but he had yet in a game to hit a home run. And so he remembers the game well because he remembered when the pitch came and he said, I hit it perfect. He said, when it came off the bat, I knew it was a home run. He said, so as it went over the fence, I took off. He said, and I took off and I rounded the bases. He said, my team was going crazy. I was pumped up. It had finally happened for me. I hit home plate. All my team is going crazy cheering. He said, and then I looked back onto the field and the pitcher has the ball and he tosses it over to the first baseman and the first baseman tags first. And the umpire looked at me and he said, you're out. 
He said, I realized in that moment that they were exactly right. I had never touched first base. And Bobby Bowden made the point to this group of football players that you need to take care of the basics. You need to do first things first. So in your goals to be to accomplish great things, the first thing that we need to do where you strike first base is remembering that God is the one who deserves all of the honor and all of the credit and all of the glory. That water never came from a rock because of who Moses was. And some of you need to know today, I'm proud of you. You're gifted and you're able and you're bright and you're smart and you're good looking and you've got all of these things going for you. But the only reason that you have anything is because of a holy, almighty God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if you don't forget, if you forget first to give him credit, then you're going to be out at home because you didn't do the very first thing you should have done and that's touch first. Honoring God is more important than receiving credit. Number two, number two, character is more important than results. Character is more important than results. In verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land. One act of disobedience can undermine a lifetime of integrity. Not that you can't come back. But it's not worth trading a legacy of faithfulness for a moment of enjoyment or even a moment of vengeance. And we talk to teenagers about this a lot, and we should. Because you go to church, you live your lives for the Lord, hopefully you're in the Word, you're with Christian friends, but what you need to know is you're building a life of integrity, you're building character. But you can ruin it on a weekend. You can ruin it on a Friday night. But it's not just them. We think when we escape our teenage years that we're past ruining it. If you're 45 years old, you can ruin it this week. You can ruin it on your computer. You can ruin it in a relationship. You can ruin it. And we need to know that because character is more important than results. And I, I've been so convicted. I've been praying this week because I have some goals now at 44 that are uncompromising in my life. And they're different than that 23-year-old kid that, that wanted to be like that pastor that, that preached to, to thousands and had the biggest church in the convention. My, it's just different now. And, and let me tell you what some of those simple goals are. And I don't mean to be morbid about this, but I, I just, I, this, is, this is where I'm at. One day I'm going to be put in the ground. I hope I, I'm given a long life if Jesus doesn't come first. But I'm going to be put in the ground. And I pray that my children outlive me and I pray that I pray my wife outlives me. And they're going to be standing over my grave. And they're going to be able to say a lot of things. And they could probably recount, recount for days how much I messed up. How imperfect I was dumb things that I did over my life. But here's what I hope for my wife. Here's what I hope for my children. And here's what I hope for the church I pastor. I hope they'll be able to stand over that grave. And as the dirt is being thrown in, that they would be able to say, he was faithful. 
He was faithful to his wife. He was faithful to his children. And he was faithful to his church. That what we have here is a life of integrity because character is more important than results. Now, I know Moses, I think he must have been a lot like Jonah. I think Moses is coming before these people. We know he's mad. He calls, hey, you rebels. And at this point, I think he's at the end of his rope. He's not wanting water to come from the rock. He's wanting God to kill these people. I've just had enough. He'd rather see wrath than mercy at this point. But then we we get to what I think is the most interesting question of the whole text. Moses does not do it like he is told to do it. Yet, water still came from the rock. Did you notice that? Why? Why would water have still come from the rock if God said, speak to the rock, don't strike the rock, and Moses didn't give God credit, then why did God allow the water to come out of the rock? You see, this is where bad theology has hurt a lot of people. Because there are a lot of people that think, that because your life you're seeing good results or you're seeing success, that that must mean that God is blessing it. But friends, I want you to know that just like this, God allowed the water to flow from the rock, but that doesn't mean that it was done the right way. And sometimes it is that you demand that things be done your way and you want to go your own way and you want to make your own choices and you want to do what you want to do. Well, what ends up happening? A lot of the times the Lord lets you have it the way you want it. But that's not the sign of the Lord's blessing. That may be the sign of the Lord's curse. And when the Lord calls you and gives you specific directions, then you need to be a person who understands that success in those moments is not what you've deemed success, but it's about faithfulness and it's about character before the Lord. Now, I read something years ago by C.S. Lewis that has stuck with me. He said, if you want to know whether or not you have rats in your basement, here's how you find out. He said, you don't walk up to the door and beat on the door and jiggle the doorknob and then sling the door open and stomp down the stairs and then cut on the light. He said, because if you do that, every rat is going to know that you're there. You're not going to see any rats. So you'll cut on the light and you'll say, I have no rats. He said, but what if you creep up to the door? What if you barely turn the doorknob? What if you ease down the steps and then all of a sudden you throw on the lights and you look? And you recognize that there are rats everywhere and they scurry all over the place. You said, you may be asking, what in the world does this have to do with my character? Here's what it has to do with your character. In my life, I've recognized, thank God, that he has grown me some in certain ways. And one of the things that I know right where I've grown is if you give me time to think about things, if I have the time to sit back and pray, if I take a day on it, that a lot of times I'm not incredibly embarrassed about my reactions. But sometimes when immediately I respond, what happens is it's just like the lights have been cut on in the cellar. And because when we react in the midst of that, we recognize that that really is what's in our heart. And surely what a man does when he's taken off his guard is the best evidence of who he is. What happens here with Moses, he's in grief over his sister. He's exasperated with the people, and he is being taken off of his guard. And when he comes off of his guard, this true heart is now exposed. 
So friends, one of the reasons that we are always telling you to cultivate your soul, to work on your soul, to do first things first, to touch first base, to read your Bible, to be in prayer, to be in Christian fellowship, to be in church, to do first things first, is because what we are trying to do is hone our soul by the power of the Holy Spirit so when the lights come on in the cellar that we recognize that our heart's in the right place to be able to react. Character is more important than results. Just, I, I know it's older now, but just by a show of hands, how many people in here have seen some or all of the movie Titanic? Or you at least know what I'm talking about, th this movie. It's based on true a true story. The Titanic sailed in 1912. It was 900 feet long. And 1,500 people died. When you see the story, when you read about the story, you realize that it's tragic because somebody may know what they deemed the what was the name of the, the nickname of the Titanic? It was the unsinkable ship. And what I heard all my life was it hit an iceberg. Is that what you heard? And when it hit the iceberg, it caused a monumental hole. And that big hole, it took on water, and that's why it sunk. But fairly recently, they've, they've been doing dives and exploring where the Titanic was, and they found out something fascinating, that it was not one massive hole that caused the Titanic to sink, but it was actually six narrow slits, not one huge gash that allowed the water to come in. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment, because here's where I think people so often get sidetracked in their Christian life is all they think about is, do I have any big gaping holes? In other words, am I addicted to porn? Am I, uh, am I someone who's committing adultery? Am I a drug addict? Am I an alcoholic? Do I have any of these big major holes in my life? And we'll give ourselves a grade of an A if we don't have any of those major holes. But what happens is, and you need to hear this, that these smaller slivers, these smaller places of gaps and holes, they will sink a ship just as quickly as one big hole does, and we can't afford to ignore them. So it's when we're asking the Holy Spirit to look into our life, we're asking Him not just to expose the gaping holes in our life, but Lord, show me the places where even those small cuts and slits are, because character is more important than results. Number three. Number three. Perseverance is more important than performance. Perseverance is more important than performance. When the Lord said to Moses, you did not trust in me enough. Anytime you sin, it is because you did not trust the Lord. Now, sometimes people balk at that definition, but God just made the statement. The reason they sinned was because they did not trust the Lord. Anytime you choose sin over godliness and holiness, it is because you don't trust that God's commands and God's way is better than your own way or your own desires. That's the definition of what sin is. And so when they commit this sin, there's got to be an understanding that God is absolutely more concerned with you persevering in holiness than your performance. Now, let me explain what I mean by performance. Sometimes I think that we're 
under this delusion that God somehow looks at these people who are superstars or all-stars or mega-pastors and that those are the ones he's looking at and that's what really impresses him when nothing could be further from the truth. There's going to be so many people that are crowned in heaven that no one knew their name. There's going to be so many people in heaven that when we look up and we recognize that they're around the throne and it's going to be people, you're going to go, wait a minute, they didn't accomplish, they didn't have huge success, but it's because they were faithful. It's because they touched first base. It's because they did the right things. It's because they examined and recognized that there were rats in their cellar and they did something about that. It's because they didn't just look for the gaping holes, but they were serious about holiness in every area of their life. And I've been convicted about this in my own life. Let me just tell you personally, do you think God is impressed with this sermon? Now, some of you are like, some of you are like, I don't know, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's not looking at that going, now that was a good one. I think I'm really going to give him some extra points. You think if you write a big church to the church, God goes, oh, wow, now there's a performance. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You don't have a dime in your checking account were it not for God. You think somehow that when he, and look, we have gorgeous, the, the, the music here is incredible. I mean, this morning was fantastic. But do you think that God looked down here and went, Oh, wow. I've never heard a voice like that. He's got 10,000 times 10,000 angels. They've never missed a note. They've all got perfect pitch. Right? So the reason I'm telling you this is God's not looking down saying, I sure hope they perform well. No, He wants you to persevere. He wants you to do what's right. All throughout the Bible, we're given examples of that. You remember, may remember Saul. He couldn't seem to wait for the priest to give there. So in 1 Samuel 13, he makes an offering. What's the big deal about that? That's not what God told you to do. Your role is not to give to place the offering. Your role is to be the king. You'll remember that Yuza, 2 Samuel chapter 6, he looks up and he grabbed hold of the Ark of the Covenant, trying to balance it, trying to do what he thought was a good thing, but he was struck and he died because he didn't treat the Lord as holy because God said, don't touch it. Uzziah, 2 Chronicles 26, he was struck with leprosy simply because he was burning incense in the temple. And God said, that's not what I've called you to do. That's not your job. Ananias and Sapphira, if you want to go to the New Testament, we're talking about the giving of money. Should you give and give faithfully? Sure. But they thought they could lie to the Lord and lie to the church. So they came and acted like they had sold a piece of property and they were giving the whole amount to the church. And they died. Ananias died first. Then his wife came in and she died too. Because God is more interested. He is much more interested in your perseverance. He is much more interested in your character. He is much more interested in your holiness than He is your performance. 1 Corinthians, you may remember in chapter 11, every time we read the Lord's Supper, you could see this, verses 27 through 30. The Corinthian church, Paul says there's a reason a lot of you are sick and dying. And the reason you're sick and dying is every time you take the Lord's Supper, you don't take seriously the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I'm telling you that when you take the Lord's Supper, it needs to be serious in your heart. You need to consider it. 
And the reason that I bring all of these examples up is they're examples of people just being called to do what God told them to do about persevering. So it's not just what you do, but it's why you do it and we look at our motivations. So let me get really quickly, because we've got to wrap this up. Really quickly. Here's what really bothers me. I told you when we started, this passage still bothers me. Even after saying all I've said, I kind of find myself going, but you really didn't let Moses into the promised land? You, Moses, you didn't let Moses into the promised land. So, so I wrote a note weeks ago thinking through this passage, and, and, and the note I wrote was, if, if not Moses, who? If you're not going to let Moses into the promised land, who, who deserves to go into the promised land? None of them. Moses included. None of them. Now I want to shock you with something. Moses is in the promised land. But not the one that's located in Israel. We're told in Hebrews 11 that by faith, Moses was saved. And I'm thankful for that. But it got me to thinking, if Moses, Moses can't get into the promised land on earth. What chance does anybody have of getting into the promised land in heaven? If you're trying to get in on your own merit, if you're trying to get in on the results you can produce, if you're trying to get in on performance, then the answer is not one. Who deserves to be allowed into the heavenly promised land? No one. So I mentioned that one day I'm going to be dead and buried, and I pray that hopefully the people that have known me the best and loved me the longest, that they'll be able to stand over my grave, and if they can't say anything else at all the flaws, I hope they'll at least be able to say he was faithful. But I want you to know this, that when I stand before the Lord, he says, why should I let you into my heaven? After all, I didn't let Moses into the promised land. I'm not going to be able to stand before him and say, well, I was a faithful husband. I never cheated on my wife. That's not going to get me in. I was a good dad, and I tried to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's not going to get me in. I pastored a church for however long. He's going to look at me and say, Moses led the people for 40 years, and I didn't let him in. None of your answers will suffice. you got to have a better answer if you want into the promised land. So I want to tell you, the reason that I know I'm going to be lit into the promised land is not for any of those reasons. It's just simply going to be because I'm going to stand before Him and say, it's because your son said he could let me in. It's because Jesus said that I could come. He said He was the way, the truth, and the life. He said that I could come. He, he died my death. He took my sin. He bore the guilt. He bore the shame. So I'm not asking you to let me in on my credits because if you wouldn't let Moses into the promised land, I don't have a shot getting through these gates. 
But thank God he's not looking at my results and he's not looking at my performance and he's not even looking at anything. What he's looking at is the blood of Jesus that washed me white as snow. And so thankfully today, when any of you go to get into the promised land, it won't be because of who you are. It won't be because of your resume. It won't be because of your righteousness. It won't be because of your success. It won't be because of your results. But maybe just maybe today, somebody in here would know that to get into God's heaven, it will be because you have to stand before the Lord and said it's simply because of the man on the cross named Jesus that paid the price for my sin.